So I was teasing the good old boy who was, uh, you know, the team leader for the area I was in where they were, they were basically bolting down stuff to the floorboards. And I said, I thought you Japanese were all about efficiency. You know, what's the deal? You put on the door twice? That didn't seem very efficient. And, and he, you know, he and I had been talking about Kaizen. So he said, well, we had a Kaizen team, Mark. Welcome again to It Doesn't Take a Genius, conversation with introspective perspectives and pithy points of view. Here are your hosts, my friends, Max and Marty. I think that's Mark and Mike. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Ramsey! Oh, Marshall, I'm, I'm afraid to ask this, but uh, what's on your mind? Well, I just wanted to tell you before we get started that uh, yeah. I've changed my identity. <laughs> uh, I now identify as trans handsome. jeez. Oh, so from this point forward, uh, my pronouns are stud muffin and man candy so just Um, use those as you see fit uh mike you are seen you are heard um (laughs) go ahead move on from this conversation before it gets too weird hey um i got something from the mailbag mike Uh uh-oh from from the mailbag which of our two viewers have written in. <laughs> <laughs> well, this one happens to be Virgil. So shout out to Virgil. Thank you for this very thoughtful email. I, w- I won't read the whole thing. Um, but uh, basically, the, the short story here is that he was in the conversation with a new executive of one of the uh, vendors that his uh, very successful uh, organization works with, multi-site organization uh, in the service industry, very, very successful. And they have a, a vendor that's a very good sized vendor, a nationally recognized vendor. And this new executive was talking about the changes that had been made um, immediately um, uh, upon, um, you know, basically this guy coming on board. And uh, Virgil's said, uh, this is the same conversation that I had with the previous leadership of the company back in 2017. So. Something happened with a leadership change that allowed some actual improvements, some innovation to happen within this vendor organization. And so here's here's Virgil's real question. He says, what is more important to an organization, culture or innovation? You know, we, if we do not continue to evolve, we become irrelevant. We all sort of understand that, especially if you're in the service business and, and speak with you know customers on a regular basis. Um, and you know, then on the flip side, you know, there's uh, maybe like a maybe a military model. The outsider looking in, we're we're uh, he says as as an outsider looking in, it looks like we're going to change the people in leadership positions often, but we're going to use internal folks that know what we are trying to accomplish and mold them into the team members we need. Um, so uh, he also gives the example of athletics. You know that you you know you might dismantle a program and you know replace the coaching staff if things aren't going well. There's a lot of examples of how this works within an organization uh, is culture more important is innovation more important now i've got some thoughts but i i want to throw it open to you before i color your thoughts because i know how impressionable you are you know the attractive people often are very impressionable so why don't you let you share your thoughts well the when i think of it the first thing i think of is is i don't believe they're mutually exclusive but, but yeah. I do see how one impacts the other. So when yeah. you first started talking, I started thinking about that that old uh, research project where they had the, they had the monkeys in the room 
And in the five monkeys in the room, there was a ladder. At the top of the ladder, there were some bananas. And so when the monkeys started to climb up to get the bananas, they'd spray them with cold water. Mm. Well, the monkeys would be like, yeah, they'd come back down. They wouldn't have any of that, <laughs> right? So they did it until the point where the monkeys no longer even tried to climb the ladder. Mm. So then they took one of the five monkeys, they took a monkey out, they put in another monkey that had never experienced the cold water. Well, that monkey went, ha, <laughs> I'm going up to get some bananas. So as soon as he went up, um, the other four monkeys pulled him down and said, no, no, no. Don't do it. Yeah, don't do that, right? Bad things happen. You know, it's not what we do around here. And when you think of yeah. culture, right, that's my definition of culture. It's just how we do things around here. How we do things. So as the experiment goes on, they keep taking the monkeys who were sprayed out. And so at the point in the experiment, you now have five monkeys in the room. None of them have experienced being sprayed with cold water, and yet none of them will climb the ladder. Yeah. And Boy, so, that's scary. Yeah, yeah, it's terrifying, right? This I don't know why we don't climb the ladder. Yep. <laughs> but that's the way we just do things around here. Yeah. And boy. so so the the power of culture, you can switch people out. Uh but yeah, yeah, unless you replace them wholesale, there's the there's a remnants of culture will remain. Yeah. Carry on. So it, it's interesting you brought that up because I was thinking about, you know, th this was obviously like a leadership change at his uh, vendors organization, you know, sort of a, a, a big sweeping change, it sounds like, that was made in leadership. And I got to thinking about all the mergers that I've, you know, either been a part of or, you know, had a front row seat to. And um, they, they all have gone poorly for the most part. I mean, they, you know, I can remember uh, being an intern for a, a public utility and they were merging with another utility and it was just the nicest environment, nice people, you know, got the security officer at the front desk. You know, we knew everybody by name and you went up in the elevator sometimes with the president, you know, no problem. And this uh, this merger was announced and it was um, almost weekly. The temperature changed. It got worse and worse. The elevator rides were the worst part because nobody was happy. They were all getting more and more bitter, feeling like they were being treated like the country cousins and, and uh, you know, were being absorbed into this big organization. It was awful. So anyway, long story short, I had a, uh, a friend who um, recently went through a merger and I saw him bragging about it. And this is months later. And I'm like, hey, months later, the temperature should have dropped by now. And so I asked him, you know, uh, you seem pleased with the merger. He says, yep, sure am. Everything they told us that they would do, they have done. And so so I, I got a lesson there, which was stay in constant communication with your people about what you're doing. I talked to him a little bit later and he said, yeah, actually, it's gotten even better because they said they were going to be doing some research on our offices. They did do some research on our offices. It turns out, I mean, they they showed us the numbers. Uh, we had some folks that were dead weight and, you know, they left and we're kind of glad they're gone. So wow. he was even happy with some of these changes, but it, none of it would have happened without the constant communication of being able to say, this is what we're about. This is what we're trying to accomplish. So the culture changed with it. Could the culture change, I guess, is the question to include innovation as part of the culture, right? I mean, to, to your point, they don't have to be mutually exclusive, but could the culture change in a way to where innovation becomes a part of that culture? 
Oh yeah, when your example is 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 filled with little little clues about how they they made it work, right? Uh, right? The way it was approached, uh, the fact that that you know just in the statement they came to us and showed us right. the data that indicated that a change was warranted. Yep. Well, when was the last time we saw that happen? Yep. <laughs> you know, where we sat down and having a civil conversation. And had a nice conversation using data, using our anecdotal evidence and figuring out what would be the, the best configuration for this thing. Yeah. And so, the, the, you know, when you look at it, anytime you merge something, there's a reason it merged. And the, the reason was to gain efficiencies, increase performance, right? Nobody, nobody buys something and merges with it to stay the same. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm going to spend 18 billion dollars in hopes that I keep getting what I'm getting now. Right. No, no, that's not. What, yeah, they're looking for 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 to establish the right, the the dominant culture, the one that they think is will have the best chance of success. And within that merger, there has to be innovation. Yeah. So uh, this is an expression I've heard a lot in the car business. When a manager takes over a department and things seem to be going well, you'll you'll hear somebody in leadership say, well, you know, new broom sweeps clean. And uh, there's some really frightening, you know, uh, subtexts to that statement, right? Because it's it's basically saying when this broom isn't new anymore, it won't sweep clean. Right. And the the culture will pull that leader back to uh, the way things were before, how we do things around here, um, he'll 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 be pulled off that ladder so that nobody gets sprayed, mm -hmm. um, as as the monkeys were, and uh, so you know how do you overcome that uh, that danger zone? And I was thinking about uh, an example, you know, in my neck of the woods that I'm sure we've talked about on the podcast before, but Toyota, right? Toyota. Um, is a good example at the manufacturing level, at least. I, I can't, you know, speak for for the entire organization, but Toyota is a good example of how they've made innovation part of the culture. And in fact, they have a Japanese word to support it, which has become sort of a byword in in a lot of different industries. Kaizen, mm -hmm. kaizen meaning uh, continuous improvement or always improving. You know, we're always going to be doing things. How we do things around here is figure out ways to do them better and eliminate waste from the system, whether it's time, uh, money, or materials. Mm -hmm. And and so they have baked into their culture uh, some ways to do that. So, so I know it can be done. Um, and I think there's a few things specifically they do to to make that happen. Um, but before I go there, let me, that, that, was, that was a mouthful. So let me, let me stop because I know you've had a lot of experience with uh, Kaizen initiatives and and things that you know we've done in uh, you know retail organizations to help them embrace that idea of continuous improvement. Any any thoughts on that being you know sort of continuous improvement as part of the culture? Well, I, I think I, I saw it firsthand. Um, you know, a uh, hundred years ago, I toured a Toyota production facility. Yep. And so we you know we got our cool hard hats on, our goggles, and we're wandering around the the plant as they're assembling the uh, Camry. And uh, it was interesting because there were points in the tour, we're walking, we're walking, and then we would stop and they would point out, right, the place in the line, in the production line, and tell the story of yep. how there used to be an extra step here. Yep. There used to be two more people and they were doing work 
that uh, would lead to repetitive workplace injuries, right? They had to lift heavy objects or whatever. And a member of the line team, yeah. right? nobody from Japan, nobody from headquarters, right? A yeah. member of the line team had said, hey, if we shift this over here, uh, we could actually eliminate the need to lift these heavy objects. And, you know, you know, the, the line will go faster. The cars will be built more consistently yeah. and less people will be injured. And they would tell you the name of the person who came up with that 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 uh, that improvement, and then you'd go down the line. You'd be looking at the whiz bang stuff, and they'd stop. Here's another Do it again. All right, there's this was used to happen here, and this person thought of this idea, and uh, we were able to make it happen, and it's now been adopted by all our plants globally. Right, and so there was this this <laughs> celebration. So so even as an outsider with just you know, a minimal exposure to Toyota. You're, you're on this yeah. you know, one hour tour uh, and all of a sudden you leave knowing that the most important thing that you could do in the Toyota culture was to find a way to make things better. hundred percent. And I, so, so here are the, the things that I've noticed because I've taken that same tour. And in fact, um, I got to work on that line. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but for uh, two or three days, I wore the smallest coveralls they could find because I was scrawny. And uh, I was on camera as the uh, model of how to work on cars without mutilating them. The uh, mutilation, you know, where you, where you scratch the paint or something like that. So I was like getting, you know, I was getting, you know, videoed, uh, you know, like taking my belt off so that I didn't have a belt buckle, things like that. Um, it was a phenomenal experience and uh, enjoy that visual treat as long as you possibly can in your mind. But uh, moving on, one of the things that I noticed was, you know, I didn't get that tour at the point uh, that you did, but I saw, I, I just noticed that the doors were put on and then taken off and put up on separate conveyor belts up above the line and then put back down, you know, about a mile down the line uh, later on. And so I was teasing the good old boy who was, uh, you know, the team leader for the area I was in where they were they were basically bolting down stuff to the floorboards. And I said, I thought you Japanese were all about efficiency. You know, what's the deal? You put on the door twice. That didn't seem very efficient. And and he, you know, he and I had been talking about Kaizen. So he said, well, we had a Kaizen team, Mark, and they timed everything. The The team was made up of all the, you know, a lot of people that work on the floor here and we timed things and looked at different ways we could do it and we realized that we could save and i and i don't remember now the numbers but it was like you know uh tens of seconds per vehicle by taking the doors off and putting them back on and also by the way that meant that they could get these little uh swivel seats and they had these petite little women that would sit on the swivel seats and kick off into the car brr, 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 with this big heavy tire uh not tire tool but uh you know a bolting tool and then kick out of the car without damaging anything, right? Uh, no, no doors got dinged or anything. So, so they saved all that material, uh, and they also saved all that time. And I said, I bet you can tell me how much that time is worth to you. And he and he rattled it off. I mean, to the penny, you know, mm -hmm. x x number of dollars per day. So, um, so, so there's a few things there, right? Well, you know, one is. Let's go down and talk to the line. They know what the heck's going on. Mm -hmm. And and another is let's get them involved in the solution because they're going to be more bought into that innovation if they were a part of the solution than if we just top down said, we hired some experts from Harvard. 
here's what they said we need to do to improve our line. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't last a month. But what they came up with lasted a very long time. It, it's so ingrained, Mike, that um, I have a, a family member who's a, another good old boy, a proud good old boy. And uh, he he recently uh, retired from Toyota and uh, was was uh, I think it was over paint uh, by the time he retired. And uh, and I said, you know, there, there seemed like there were some quality issues in the you know early 2000s to mid 2000s. And he said, uh, said things took a turn for the worse when the white man took over. <laughs> you know, we had to get back to the Japanese way, you know, like we, we, we gotta, we gotta keep doing those Japanese things that are Kaizen. So that's how bought in they are to, to Kaizen as part of the culture, to innovation as, as part of the culture. And I think it's because the Japanese people treated them respectfully and involved them in the decisions. And uh, it was communication. And it, I, I'll call it humility, you know, that let's go talk to those guys and see what they are noticing that mm-hmm. led to innovation as a culture so there's my big example oh yeah well i think it's a it's a fantastic example and i'm still picturing uh the scrawny gi joe in a jumpsuit uh, you know putting his toyota belt on and off uh, yeah that's i just can't get this out of my head uh, so uh, when you're when you're talking i'm also thinking about uh you know uh, dr dan edgar and he taught us about uh, innovation yeah. in the age of an organization and so if you, uh, you know, when an organization's first founded, it's small, it, you know, everything's based upon the founder's idea, the original patent or whatever. Yeah. And so all the innovation comes from the, the, the headquarters. Right. The organization grows, it gets bigger, we add layers, there's people out in the field now. Uh, it's a very complex organization. Less as the, as the organization grows, less and less innovation comes from the headquarters and more and more comes from the front line. Till there becomes a point where almost no innovation comes from the headquarters and all the innovation is occurring out in the, the front lines. The people doing the job every single day find ways to do the job better, whether it, whether it's assembling the car or selling the product or whatever it is. Yeah. The truly great organizations that have a culture that's humble enough, right? The, these highly paid people at the headquarters have to humble themselves and say, I don't have all the answers. But I can tell through reports and, and, and mm-hmm. you know, different things going on. There are people in our organization that have figured something out. We need to go talk to them, figure out what they've figured out, and then find out if it can be replicated across the, the entire organization. And, yeah. and we see so many organizations where it's so hard for that, especially if there's the strong founder is still in place, right. uh, for them to say, I may no longer have all the best ideas ouch all right that hurts yeah. and that this guy that that's an entry-level employee may yeah. have figured out something that 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 you know i as the founder or the ceo or the vice president haven't figured out and so there that requires right it's going to happen the question is do you have a culture that will embrace and go seek out those innovations or will you <laughs> remain steadfast that you know we know what's best the, yeah and for the company uh, so so well said. I, it's reminding me of one of the innovations on the tour. When you take the Camry tour, there's a seat that that like uh, swivels around, and um, you know it it was from a good old boy who had a bass boat. You know it was his, that was that was the seat that was the seat that was the innovation. And 
you know, um, Dan Edgar again introduced us to uh, some uh, scholarly research around. Uh, I think it was they're called the lone heroic leader versus the dialogic leader. It goes right back to our last podcast episode where we were talking about how you have to be a great conversationalist. I'm fairly certain uh, that the CEO of Toyota is not on the Bass Pro Circuit. I think I'm right about that. I may be wrong, but I think I'm right about it. Um, and I bet that the you know the the bass uh, the bass fisherman possibly not a fan of sushi. So you know to each his own. But I will say that those two had to talk, right? There had to be talk between uh, the the leadership and the front line to make that innovation work. And so it's only going to work if you go have that conversation. So we're, we're back to talking about dialogue again, which tickles me to death because I think that's a huge, huge part of what makes this successful. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, someone had to, you know, and it, there had to be this culture where I felt safe offering up the idea. Right. Uh, yeah, I can see it. But I'm not saying anything because you know they might make fun of me. They yep. they they don't they don't need to hear from me. They don't you know they've let it be known that they don't want to hear from me, and yep. so yeah, I'm I'm hesitant to share those ideas. But because they celebrate innovation, uh, I'm more apt to to offer up my idea. Uh, one of my favorite stories from that the that particular plant in Kentucky was the 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 story that I was told was when they uh, first set the plant up. Uh, they had, you know, some break areas and, and in every break area, they put up a ping pong table uh, because that's what they had in the Japanese plants and uh, nobody, nobody played. And yeah. they, you know, so they asked around, so what's the deal? And the, the, uh, the workers from the Kentucky plant said, if you'll take out the ping pong tables and put up basketball goals, yeah, <laughs> you got a whole new thing going on here. So, so they removed the ping pong tables, put up some goals, and then on breaks, people could shoot around and just loosen up and it relieved some stress. And it worked fantastic. That's so great. even when it came to play and, and yeah. you know, re, you know, refreshing the team and keeping them fresh, uh, yeah. they found that, yeah, they're not everything translated globally. And if they were willing to listen, yeah, the solution would, would be readily apparent. That's a wonderful note to end on. Back to play. I, I do hope that we do adopt the Japanese innovation of you can take a nap under your desk. Have you ever seen those videos where they just like, you know, all right, it's three o'clock, talking out. Well, it's beautiful. Thing of thing of absolute beauty. Anyway. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I'm all for morning calisthenics. Uh, yeah. Let's yeah. Spend. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. for all of us. Before we hit the line, jumping jacks, some burpees, touch your toes. Uh, which there again, you think, what a waste of time. Uh, but they figured out, yep. uh, right, I've got less workplace imagery if people warm up before they go to work. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. Everything is with a purpose. And, yep. and, and, and I find that fascinating. I, I love it. Absolutely love it. You can, do, uh, you can do little exercise routines in Animal Crossing, by the way. All right. So anyway... Uh, <laughs> Now moving on to uh, our voiceover artist that we've hired for uh, ending our shows, uh, Mr. John Wolf. Uh, hopefully he can save us from this awkward moment. Yeah, and I'm willing to bet that he's never played Animal Crossing. <laughs> yeah. That's very true. Just thinking out loud. <laughs> and that's a wrap. It doesn't take a genius. The blog dedicated to reducing the irreducible. Next time, prime numbers. What makes them so special? Join us then. And thanks for listening. That's good enough.